Hi and welcome to I Could Murder a Cocktail. I'm Molly and I'm here with Connor and Ellie who also do the podcast with me. It's a special episode because <laughs> Connor or oh, Ellie. <laughs> no, sorry, it just you just made it sound like they also do the podcast, not just like they're just sitting here staring at me, <laughs> not joining in. <sighs> It's a special episode this week because Connor is going to be providing us with a murder. The crime this week is Jill Dando and the cocktail is the TV special highball. The ingredients of the cocktail is pineapple juice, gin, ginger ale and pineapple. And you can find all the measurements on our social media. Going to give it a try? Yeah, let's give it a go. Ooh, I like that. Mm. Lovely. Love a bit of just gin and pineapple juice is just one of those drinks that it's like, mmm, I could drink that all day. It's really weird because on the Absolute website, this only has one review and it's a one star review. I was thinking that when I was reading it. I was like, oh God, it's going to be the first one that we all just hate. (laughs) But I don't see where they went wrong, to be honest. Did it have like a reason for the one star review or was it just like just one star? You want to just collect one star, I think. Uh, I was wondering if it was going to be, you know, those stories and I that you write someone will put one star for like, oh, they went to Barry Island and then it's like, why, why did he give it one star? Well, it rained the whole time I was there. Yeah, it was <laughs> disgusting. I know I didn't use gin, I used vodka. I know I didn't use pineapple juice, I used bananas, but it was disgusting. I feel seen. <laughs> I bought all the right ingredients today. I just overcompensated on the gin because I'm not working tomorrow. I thought I'll do a bit of extra gin in it because pineapple's hey, so overpowering. Hey. <laughs> yes, drinking far too much gin. Do you know what was really nice tonight? So you know how I always make three cocktails because it looks better in photos. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Today I actually got to give those cocktails to other people, and so it wasn't just like a sad alcoholic crawling it's hardly into- sad ellie you'll drink them all anyway <laughs> no <laughs> i never throw down alcoholic. and make another one <laughs> but it's just normally i do feel like a little bit like an alcoholic because i'm always kind of like trying to carry them all in and like start recording but today i was like i, I can give joe a cocktail kate had a cocktail Dave okay so the cocktail. clarification it's sad if you have three cocktails all at the beginning but not sad if you have more than three made after each other yes correct okay (laughs) (laughs) if you have to carry them all at the same time it's embarrassing and sad if you make them continuously it's fine interesting i don't think i've ever felt that when i'm carrying three cocktails i feel accomplished I feel proud and happy. I think it's maybe just because I, I do it so much. And then especially if I've got work the next day and I'm like, oh, I really should. If my manager could like see me just like three cocktails wandering off. Yeah, not, not great. Creeping into a quiet room to record for two hours. <laughs> okay, so um, Jill Dando was an English journalist. She was a TV presenter and she was a newsreader. She was really big in the BBC at the time, which I'll get to. 
but um, kind of her beginnings. She was born in a maternity home in Western Supermare. She was raised as a Baptist and remained a devout follower throughout her life. Her first job, she was a trainee reporter for the local weekly newspaper. Uh, after five years in print, she started to work for the BBC and she started, uh, she was a newsreader for BBC Radio Devon in 1985. By 88, she'd already moved from that to national TV in London to present BBC TV news. She did the little, you know, every hour bulletins that they do between shows uh, on BBC One. She did those uh, from 86 until the mid 1990s. She also presented Breakfast Time, Breakfast News, the One O'Clock News, the Six O'Clock News, the Travel Program Breathe. <laughs> I know all that news. So much news. And finally, and possibly most important, oh, not finally, she presented songs of praise every now and then again. But um, finally, and most importantly, Crime Watch from 1995 until her death. And she was really, she was. What she uh, at what she did, she was huge. Like in 1997, she was the BBC Personality of the Year, and obviously, if she's been presenting quite literally throughout the day, from breakfast all the way through to the six o'clock news, and also weekly, she'd present Crime Watch. She was constantly on people's TV. She was one of those faces that you might not, well, I say you might not know, but people did. But she was always she was a household there. name. Yes, she was. Yeah, she wasn't what you call an A-lister, but everyone knew her face and everyone knew her name because she was always on your TV in your house. Mm. Um, in 1997, she met her uh, partner, Alan Farthing, who was a gynecologist on a blind de- date set up by a friend. He was separated from his wife. And a couple of months after his divorce was finalised, they announced their engagement at a party. Oh, and this also tells you how big she was. She had a party attended by Sir Cliff Richard, Nick Ross and Anna Ford with the first interview for their engagement being secured by OK Magazine. Oh, OK. Oh. So she was... <laughs> so she was quite well known. Oh my God, I've gotten through page one so quickly. That was... It's because you talk so fast. <laughs> I look, I do three pages and I think, oh, that's going to take some time. No, we're six <laughs> minutes in. <laughs> I don't know how you do it because I feel like I talk quite fast, but like, no, Ellie, takes... you are the opposite of Connor. <laughs> Am I? Yeah. I don't really know. I'm just like, this... I'm always like, yeah, I, t- I talk fast. And then I, when I'm reading and it takes me six years to get through like two paragraphs and I'm like, oh, maybe not. I have every now and then sped up, sped you up. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I promised to try and talk faster. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think it's because I'm old and I don't like technology. So yeah, it's yeah, the three no. cocktails. <laughs> it's the three cocktails and the shot that I drink on my own. <sighs> Sorry, anyway, carry on. Anyway, so, um, oh, and they were meant to be married on the 25th of September, 1999. So on the morning of the 26th of April, 1999, uh, Jill left Farthing's home in Chiswick. That's my birthday. Oh, well, she didn't have a very good 1999 birthday. Not a very happy 1999. Uh. 
she returned alone in her car to the house she owned in Fulham. And she was shot outside it. And one of the quite sad things with regards to it is she lived in the house, but by this point, it wasn't her primary residence. She was in the process of selling it. So she'd literally, she'd just gone back. And as she reached her front door at 11.32, she was shot once in the head. It prompted the biggest murder inquiry by the Met and the largest criminal investigation since the hunt for the Yorkshire Ripper. God. Wow. But it wasn't for another 15 minutes that her body was discovered. Mm. But even though she was on her front door laying there very dead, because the police were called at 11.47, her having been killed at 11.32, and she was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital at 1.03pm. It's so sad to think that if someone had seen her or if the police were called sooner, like, some more could have been done, you know? Yeah. Because that's the thing, you know, she wouldn't have survived the what happened to her, but, yeah, if someone could have stopped that from happening or someone could have... Even if so, they were just 15 minutes, like, more ahead of themselves to try and catch whoever it was, mm, like, yeah. that gives someone a head start, doesn't it? Or someone just walking past on a busy residential street. You know, it's so weird to think of an entire street, especially in Fulham. You know, it was, mm. I've seen the pictures. It's quite a big, nice house on an open, wide street. This was broad daylight. And someone could shoot her and kill her. And But actually, that does come into what is what happens next. But um, I've got a quote by Bob Woffenden from The Guardian <laughs> in 2002. Brilliant name. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Uh, he says, as Dando was about to put her keys in the lock to open the front door of her home in Fulham, she was grabbed from behind. With his right arm, the assailant held her and forced her to the ground so that her face was almost touching the tiled step of the porch. Then, with his left hand, he fired a single shot at her left temple, killing her instantly. The bullet entered her head just above her ear, parallel to the ground, and came out on the right side of her head. So she'd been shot by a bullet, and forensic shows it was pressed against her head at the moment of the shot. And the bullet had been modified so it would reduce its charge. Mm. So her next door neighbour was in her house at the time. It was in his house at the time and heard a surprised cry from her like she was greeting a friend but didn't ever hear the gunshot. Oh, my God. So, yeah, someone was shot on the steps in the house next to him and he he heard her cry out but he thought she was calling to someone. Uh, but never heard the gunshot. And he actually saw the killer without realising from his window. So it's the only description we've got of the killer is a six-foot-tall white man aged around 40. My God. Mm, so he's, he, he, he'd seen the killer after she'd been murdered as well. She was just laying on the steps, and he looked out his window, and a guy was walking away, and oh it was my someone God. else who discovered the body. That's just... Because, like, when... Like, when you said, like, she was shot in the head, to me, I was thinking she was shot from, like, a distance. Yeah. And I was like, that's why nobody heard it or, like, nobody kind of saw who it was. But, like, the fact that it was literally... To be pinned down. Yeah. And then for her, like, to have modified it in such a way that her next-door neighbour hasn't heard it, that's like terrifying because you do think in those kind of houses where you're closer together Mm. you 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 always think i'll know what happens next door because you can hear it 
That's so spooky. So after the murder, there was obviously massive media coverage. Again, she was a newsreader. She was on Crime Watch, which was huge at the time. And obviously people wondered if that had something to do with it as well. Uh, An investigation by the Met named Operation Oxborough was useless, essentially, for over a year. Um, Because she was a well-known public figure, it actually hindered the investigation because the amount of tips they had in. Yeah. Like, you know, it's very similar to Diana, how everyone wanted to go to the grave and uh, everyone wanted to go to the memorial and cry and say they'd left something that was quite similar. That was that she was watched by millions of people on a daily basis. So when the police said, we want tips, millions, uh, sorry, hundreds of people called in and gave pretty useless tips. Mm. And because she was also so popular, uh, it brought her into contact with thousands of people and she was known to millions. So it meant that there were thousands of potential suspects. I think in one season of Crime Watch, how many people they're looking out for, how many people she could have got almost gotten caught or risked there. And there was a lot of speculation throughout the press and the media and a lot of hunger to find her murderer. And I think that is the logical place to take a break. Fab. Well, we'll take a break. We'll come back with a shot to the head. So make sure you have a shot ready. And see you on the other side. Hey guys, welcome back. I hope you've got your shot ready. Um, We're ready for Ellie's shot to the head. I am drinking limoncello. Slight change for me. Absolutely. I'm very proud of you for I know. The, the change. You should have seen the proud smug on my face when I was pouring what wasn't tequila <laughs> or vodka. Ellie, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking tequila. Mm. See, I was proud of myself for having limoncello, but now I'm like, oh, now I've heard you've got tequila. I wish I had tequila. <laughs> I'm really sad. <laughs> Con, what you got? I've got gin. Look how snazzy this one looks. (laughs) For the tape, Connor has a bottle of gin. Oh, yeah. I have a shot. He just showed me a full bottle and went, I have gin. Oh, my my shot glass is in the dishwasher. Oh, very convenient. I thought it was was rude to ask him to move because I've asked him to move twice when I've been chopping up pineapples for my cocktail. Well, Ellie, do you want to kick us off? How cute it is. Sorry, for £9. Oh, very cute. Hey. <laughs> Ellie, kick us off with your shot to the head. Okay, uh, so this is the headline that I found that just made me laugh. Well, I shouldn't really laugh. Anyway, mother-daughter duo caught selling corpses out of their family funeral home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, So Megan Hess and her mother, Shirley Kosh, opened uh, a funeral home in 2009. They appeared just to be like a run-of-the-mill family business. But nearly a decade later, it was revealed that they'd been selling the corpses and lying to the families. I am confused. What corpses were they giving the family? They weren't. They were like, they were saying here's your mother and not actually like giving them I well hold on right let me I'm guessing like closed casket then or well I think it's cremation 
sweeping up a mm. bit of dust. Um, so it says. <gasps> oh, it also, say do you want? They were selling it for. Uh, yes, and also, do you want to know what they ended up being charged with? Yes. Six counts of mail fraud. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as a, and then in the next line, it says, and three counts of illegal transportation of hazardous materials. Ah, yes. I was thinking when would the illegal transportation <laughs> of hazardous materials come up? It's like, really? So that you'd think the, the mail fraud, that's the worst one. <laughs> well. The court system has their own classification under that, though. Like, Yeah. Like human ha- courses, they're material. under the same... Yeah, they're like under the same thing as like a dead snake going through customs. Yeah, that is, it is kind of weird. Isn't it kind of a metaphor for life, though? Aren't we all a dead snake going through customs? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> like, really? Can I don't know what it means, but it feels that? so true to me. <laughs> as soon as we start doing merch, can we please have a t-shirt that says, aren't we all a dead snake going through customs? Because yes. I would wear it. It's my vibe. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, um, I've just found some more information on this. So, so when they opened their funeral home, uh, they also opened a non-profit donor service that operated out of the funeral home uh, that, <laughs> that would harvest human remains and sell them to customers to use them for scientific medical or educational purposes oh yeah that's not suspicious so it's like burke and hair like i was literally just gonna say they probably read that and was like not a bad (laughs) idea (laughs) um yeah so they so they offered cremation but didn't actually like didn't cremate the bodies and just gave like random things in return Sounds like a sick, sick game, doesn't it? We didn't cremate your mum, but what can you guess that we did cremate? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I think it's a teddy bear. No, (laughs) this would normally be unfunny in any circumstances, but I'll come look up later in the podcast. You know, Rolf Harris was like, Have you guessed what it is yet? (laughs) 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 He's shaking the thing of ash. Making it in. Oh, amazing. We are horrible people. <laughs> we definitely all go into hell. Shot. <laughs> yeah, Cheers, shot. everyone. Cheers. I'll drink to that. Oh. Mm. <laughs> I need to start drinking nice stuff like you guys. I don't want to keep <laughs> choosing vodka and gin. Yeah, yeah that all... was just sugar. Because, you know, sometimes you can, like, I've done it a couple of times where I've had like tequila, but then I've also had like a little bit of pineapple juice or something like that. So it's like, yeah, but that's what girls do, Ellie. I am a girl. Last time I checked. Yeah, but you always say, "Oh, guys, making those kind of noise." It's because we don't distill our tequila with pineapple. No, 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 no. I'm not saying in the same thing. I'm saying I do a shot of tequila. And then I sometimes will then sip a little bit of pineapple juice, like how you have a lemon or a lime after a tequila sometimes. Understood. Good idea. 
Mm. I'm washing down my limoncello with a can of vodka lime and soda. <laughs> that's that's usually my mistake is I like I'll drink a shot of vodka or whatever we're drinking in the podcast and then wash it down with that slightly diluted with more. It's just it doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> so oh, I'm washing down my vodka with half vodka, half orange juice. It's still gross. <laughs> Right, I'll get started. Oh, on that was a hell of a gulp, Con. That was a big gulp. Quite difficult when you're reading out. I get it now, guys, okay? Yeah, see? <laughs> Give us a break. Do you get now why you I start. read like an idiot? <laughs> no, that's still not known to science. <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't get that. <laughs> All right, part dos. Within six months, the murder investigation team had spoken to more than 2,500 people and taken more than 1,000 statements. A man named Barry George had been named in a tip-off given to police the day after the murder, which referred to him as a mentally unstable man who lived 500 yards from Ms. Dando's home. But quite similar to the Yorkshire Ripper case, it took 10 months before they came to actually start considering him as a suspect. Oh, uh, that makes me so annoyed because it's not even as if like they was in, they took ten thousand statements. They could have yeah. done one more. <laughs> and it, it uh, he was put under surveillance and arrested on the twenty fifth of May two thousand. So she was killed in April nineteen ninety nine, and he was charged with her murder on the twenty eighth of May. He fit the profile of a murderer, so. Um, First of all, he had been stalking local women. Just like you. Wow. You fit the profile, don't we all? <laughs> it's funny if we were murderers. <laughs> uh, he... I didn't even yeah, mean for that laugh to be suspicious. It just was. <laughs> I legitimately <laughs> just was going to do a normal laugh. <laughs> He had some experience with firearms. Uh, he spent a year in the Territorial Army and was discharged in November 1982, but he'd already been taught how to maintain and shoot assault, ri- assault rifles and machine guns. Can I ask a question? Yeah. The Territorial Army, like... Mm. what? No, I don't understand what it is either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take like... a shot and move on. <laughs> but, like, I don't... I don't, I don't get that because in my head, I'm thinking like it's dad's army and it's a bunch of old men running around. Um, ah. Who's saying it's not them? Right. It's, 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 the, I, it's, it's the part-time volunteer force of the British army. Oh, okay. That makes so, more sense than a load of old hey. men. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it wasn't. <laughs> in, in the hope of not offending any of our listeners um you would struggle to pay me enough to join the army let alone do it on a volunteer basis yeah it's like we're not at risk from being fucking invaded well (laughs) (laughs) molly knows something that we don't (laughs) i'm like yeah no definitely not (laughs) Any country that could invade us would just nuke us. Like, we got no chance. You're not going to... Anyway, yeah, so uh, I just find that a weird prospect anyway. The prospect of being a volunteer for the army. It's not like the Salvation Army. It's genuine guns and shit. 
Yeah, it like, just if they needed you, short notice, like if we did just go into war one day, do they just mm. call you up and you, you just tell your day job like SARS? Yeah, a god goes to the army. It is. Because I remember now there used to be adverts that you could you, you would get you can get paid leave from work specifically for it on top of your holiday. Really? Now I'm but convinced like, to <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, maybe it's, it's a good idea now. It's like up to 28 days a year from your work, you can take training with a territorial army. Well, that's why it's um, part-time and volunteer. I'm just out of curiosity. How would you do that, Connor? Molly, the, the time off is to go and be with the territorial ter- territorial army. Yeah, but like you said, no one's going to invade us. I get twenty eight days extra leave a year. Yeah, but you're going to have to crawl through you mud. Work. All those, <laughs> you're going to have to do all those like drills and stuff. It's not just like yeah. come and like I hang out. Very like convincing. If I'm like, no, lads, honestly, I've done it all before. Uh, I don't really need to. I've crawled in mud before. I have. I don't. I've actually got again. my. I've got my crawled in mud badge. So yeah, um, when I was I in joke. brownies, I had a sash, <laughs> and we'd get a badge every time we did something. But also, <laughs> says something about him. And this moment, we feel bad based on what I say later, but it's also true. Is that imagine spending nearly a year in a volunteer force that you use. So he didn't even get the full 28 days before he was discharged. Oh, few men. He didn't spend a full year of training before he was discharged, but they still taught him how to handle firearms and like, literal assault, assault rifles. It's nice that they do that early. That They're like, yeah, hey, <laughs> just day one, day. Gun. <laughs> come over here, we'll teach you how to shoot. Like, uh, yeah, I really yeah, like uh, that they, they have that high up on the agenda. That's within 28 days of starting training, quite obviously. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. that, that can't be the most important thing they have to teach you. Like, hey, come over here. Here's a gun. But then it probably is. Because if they were invaded two days after that, they'd rather someone know how to shoot a gun than know how to crawl over a log. I, I just, you know, I've worked in retail for a very long time. And it's like, oh, should we teach them how to do discounts or stuff yet? Oh, no, they've not been here long enough to learn that. He's only been here two years. <laughs> you were in the wrong to... business, Con. <laughs> the right business for our victims. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, women, as I said earlier, had complained that he'd stalked them, like local women had been saying. And he lived within 500 yards of Joel's flat. And when police finally searched his flat, they found photographs of local women and no fewer than four copies of the Jill Dando memorial issue of the BBC's in-house magazine, Ariel. Oh, that's so that's so the in-house magazine. He, he had to he had to look for that. So George was tried on the second of July two thousand and one, and got life imprisonment. Shock. But do 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 do. He appealed twice, and they were both unsuccessful. But after some forensics evidence was excluded from the prosecution's case because it was it had been discredited, his third appeal succeeded in 2007. <gasps> the original conviction was quashed and a second trial lasted eight weeks and he was acquitted on the 1st of August 2008. <gasps> what? 
so it was revealed basically that because he fit the profile that was why they convicted him so do we think he's actually guilty and got away with not doing it or do we think he was innocent should we should we take this till i go through yeah our other suspects nope. crack on right so i'll read what he said as well and so he took his case to high court in 2013 because he's been refused any money for his conviction I don't know. Is the law states that compensation should only be paid when a fact emerges to prove beyond reasonable doubt that he did not commit the offence. So he said, how can you be acquitted by judge and jury, which means you are innocent in status, but then you get told that you're not innocent enough to have been convicted erroneously? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. If you no. mean if you have a second trial and you're acquitted and they find that there's like issues with the original conviction, how can that not be a case for getting compensation? Yeah, you're innocent or you're not innocent, but he's not innocent enough for compensation, but he's too innocent for jail. It's quite weird. It's that... taking innocent and self-proven guilty to its very <laughs> illogical conclusion. Yeah. yeah. Any sense. So there's a couple of other theories about who could have killed her. So the first one is a Russian crime lord. So there was uh, one crime lord who had been the subject of speculation that he'd ordered Ms. Dando's killing because when she was filming the holiday program in Cyprus, he'd, she'd rejected his advances. But she had a so few he romantic- murdered her. <laughs> Man. But he was a crime lord. <laughs> but- that logical conclusion. But prior to her engagement, she had had a few romances with various men, and the Met Police felt it was more likely that one of them was at fault than a member of the public at one point. They, uh, but any man who'd had any romance with Jill were completely cleared of any um, suspicion. So one of the other theories is that it was a um, a Serbian assassin. So she was, yeah. There were some wild theories. I'm sorry. It's just like the next logical conclusion. If it's not the Russian crime lord, it <laughs> must be. The it does be a lot. Like, did it have to be? Could it have just been like your average Joe on the street? Did it have to be a crime lord? Yes, I well, think they, it did. They've already released average Joe. Oh, yeah. They wanted to tick every box. <laughs> mm. Look, at the BBC, we don't discriminate. <laughs> so she was killed by a single shot to the head close range which is considered the hallmark of a professional and she was shot in broad daylight at eleven thirty a.m and somehow that was not seen so something again might suggest the work of a professional and obviously like you said before with like the tampering with the bullets that it wouldn't make this up yeah sounds professional mm-hmm. and on uh, 20 days before she was killed, she'd fronted a Kosovo crisis appeal that raised a million pounds in 24 hours for those who were fleeing um, the ethnic cleansing in the Balkans. The day after she was killed, uh, it was revealed that Tony Hall, the BBC's head of news, uh, had been phoned by a man with an Eastern European accent saying, your Prime Minister Blair butchered innocent young people. We butcher back. <gasps> oh... Spooky. 
that's not a phone call you want to get, is it? Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is that came out came out later. It was the day after she was killed, it emerged that had happened. Why would the head of news of BBC not have prioritised that he'd received a call from someone saying they were going to butcher someone in retaliation? That's yeah. quite headline news. That's like, you... it's stuff people would want to know. Yeah. And also, that's the thing where you go, okay, this might be a hoax, but like, I'm going to tell the police anyway, because this is like, a, this is a thing. This is quite worrying. Yeah. Um, the other option is that it was a London hitman. So, man who this guy was. There's a guy who's spoken on TV. He's an investigative journalist, and he used to be a Surrey police detective. His name's Mark Williams Thomas, and he thinks that Jill was murdered on the orders of a London kind of Mister Big to send out a direct message to others: do not take on organised crime. They think it might have been a revenge for her crime watch career and the amount of people she'd put away on TV. I can't a, help now. This is yeah. getting all too much. And a hitman, <laughs> this fact, a hitman went on this morning, you know, with Holly and Phil, um, with his voice disguised, <laughs> <laughs> with a list of, and was shown a list of people who'd been convicted or suspect, suspected. That sounded very um, suspected. South African then. <laughs> he was suspected of a crime. <laughs> um, and he was shown a list of convicted or suspected hitmen in the area, uh, like a list of 100 people who they thought could have done it. And he said, I can point out a few people here who've done it or could have done it, but I won't say their names because I don't want to have a hit taken out on me. <gasps> this is too much. The last one is going to get you even more. Oh, just before, Just before you go into the last one, I just want to, like... I want to ask a few questions about this hitman that's going on, like, TV. Yeah. So, was he in the studio? No. No. Okay. Not as far as I'm aware. <laughs> he, say, he, like, had his face and voice, he had his face and voice disguised, so... But also, like, how do you verify a hitman? Yeah. How, I like, don't they know. can't get references. Anyone could have called up and been like, oh, I, yeah, I'm a hitman. I'm a hitman. Yeah, yeah. Put me on this morning. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> He was the source for a book on assassins, I think. Someone had come on to discuss his book about assassinations and they'd organised it in advance that this guy would oh. speak to them. But I oh, don't know, right. obviously, because they, couldn't, they couldn't reveal anything. I don't know whether he'd been convicted of an assassination before and that's why they could verify that's who he was or whether he was literally just an anonymous source for a book who said he was a hitman. I would yeah, probably again, assume that. Book. <laughs> like, how do you verify? Yeah, I've killed hundreds of people. Yeah, yeah I I'm do a, all the time. I'm I'm the top assassin in the whole of the world. Yeah, I'm the biggest hitman ever. I've got a thousand guns. I love <laughs> killing people. And then you speak to him, and you realise he's just really into Call of Duty. <laughs> Do you want to hear the last one? I mean, yes, I do, please. but I don't know if my nerves will take it. <laughs> I do, I do. Go on. Or, or was it Jimmy Savile? Oh, stop. What? Uh-huh. Stop it now. So, after the Jimmy Savile sexual abuse scandal, a claim was made that she'd investigated a paedophile ring at the BBC during the mid-1990s. 
and then handed a dossier containing her findings to BBC management. Uh, the BBC said it had seen no evidence to support this claim. But this is the same BBC that kind of protected Savile until it was like irrefutable that he'd yeah. touch children. Um, for those listeners who are in the US or elsewhere who don't know of Jimmy Savile, he was a DJ and a TV presenter who was around lots of kids in the 70s, 80s, 90s and turned out was himself a paedophile. I still uh, get very confused when people would watch, because I, even as a child watching Jimmy Savile, I was always like, oh, he's, he's fucking weird. He's like He's weird. Yeah. He's creepy. Mm. And like, it always confused me that then when it came out and people were like, oh my God, I'm so shocked. And it's like, yeah, really? You could not have been surprised by that. <laughs> it's like, we talk about a lot of red flags on this show. <laughs> he was he was a walking red flag, wasn't he? Oh my god, yeah. The tracksuits well, alone, like the tracksuits, the just the the mannerisms, just everything about him. Like one day, I well actually, Jimmy Savile is on my list to cover. So one day, I I am going to cover him because I just think it is too bizarre not to. It might be in three years though, but you know, but everyone listen out for that one. <laughs> Well, there was another um, BBC presenter, Sally Jones, who said, who revealed to Jill that Savile had tried to kiss and grope her in, an, uh, in a lift in the 80s. And she was surprised in the, within the BBC to find that Jill also thought that Jimmy Savile was a dirty old pervert. Where others turned a blind eye or covered up Savile's crimes, it seems that Jill had no worries about calling him out for what he was. Good for them. You mean yeah. a powerful woman that's worked really hard to be where she is doesn't like a weird pervert that's just hanging mm-hmm. around getting away with everything that's that's so surprising you know exactly and that's the thing is she the, the rumors are that she was ready to bust because she was again huge crime watch huge on the news proper investigative journalist yeah rumors are that she may have been ready to bust the, this whole ring of people wide open and was killed because of that it's so heartbreaking because she was obviously like she knew exactly the direction she kind of wanted to go. And she was like really hardworking, was trying to like do as much as she could. Like you do doing Crime Watch because Crime Watch is one of those strange things where it's like it does actually help to, to catch criminals. And yeah. like if, you know whether or not it's true or not obviously we'll we'll never really know but if she was working on something that was going to expose the abuse that was going on and that the BBC were covering up that's like heartbreaking because it took well she died in what 99 um and it's several stuff came out in 11 I think 2011 yeah so that's like that's such a long time that you know, obviously he'd been dead a little while by then, but like that's such a long time that it wasn't exposed. And that's just heartbreaking that she kind of potentially had this information and kind of was going to expose it and never got the chance. It just, yeah, it makes me really sad that, you know, because how, how old was she when she died? Uh, 37. Oh, fuck. It's like, so young and like she had so much to to give and to like do oh yeah no that that's you've ruined my whole evening now connor 
Oh, wow. Right, we'll now have you know how it more cocktails. <laughs> Ellie, you're normally such a beacon of positivity on a Thursday. I don't know how you cope. <laughs> I know, I know what you like to tell you about child murder, and that's much more uplifting. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, so who do we, well, I, I say who do we, like, does anyone have any preferred theories? I, I don't believe it was, um, is it Barry Graham? Was that his name? No, Barry George, sorry. Barry George. I don't believe that it was Barry George because I just I think he fits the bill so much that that's why they chose him. It was like he was creepy. He was probably a bit obsessed, but he doesn't have any of the credentials or the skills or he just he just fits the bill of a murderer, I think. If and, I had and, to choose one. Oh, while you're speaking, I can't hear you. You're on mute, babe. Ah, yeah, Daphne's been a bitch. <laughs> If I had to choose one, mm. I would probably say it was the British hitmen for yeah. whatever reason. It just seems most likely to me. But I also kind of hope it was Jimmy Savile in like the saddest way possible. Mm. You know? Because it's like. What if it was Jimmy yeah, Savile hiring a British assassin? Because I can't really imagine Jimmy Savile with all of that like polyester getting away from the crime scene especially like fucking Jimmy Savile like everyone would have squeaking as he walks his <laughs> hair flowing in the wind like everyone would have noticed it was Jimmy fucking Savile um yeah no I I think well I think it was probably like a, a British hitman whether they were working for Jimmy Savile or whether there was like some other thing, because let's be honest, she had by this point. Exp- no, I, 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 yeah, no. The London Hitman one sounds most likely to me just because of her crime watch career. Yeah. Or if it was associated with Jimmy, I can't necessarily imagine that it would be himself. <laughs> I don't think he was all that intelligent a man. I think he was just very lucky to have gotten away with what he did for years. But I think it, it, it could have been very well connected to that. You know, people higher up. Yeah, I think you've known a lot of powerful people. Yeah, Yeah, there's people who would have been affected by a TV presenter being um, revealed as a paedophile. I think there's people above him who would have very much not liked that to come out. So, on that positive note, Molly, do you have a joke for us? I absolutely do. Um, I want to bring this back. I'm sorry, she's being an absolute dickhead. Daphne, sit down. (laughs) Sit down. No. Do do you know what I always really like is that there's never context given with the two of you. Well, no, there is sometimes, but like often two of you just... I can't can't see you, but also I really like the idea if I didn't know that you both had dogs (laughs) and I just thought you were both really terrible parents to like actual (laughs) children. Just go, no. dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she's just being an arsehole today no you you are both wonderful <laughs> dog parents but it's just i really like that concept that i think sometimes i'm like oh yeah they both have you're not just shouting at children like <laughs> well connor will cut that out anyway <laughs> i can't imagine me i can't imagine me speaking much nicer to my own children lola is <laughs> the best thing that's ever happened to me um 
Yeah, so I wanted to bring this back to the fact that it's supposed to be bad jokes. Like, we've been telling quite a lot of good jokes recently, and it's supposed to be, like, Mm -hmm. bad Christmas cracker, like, dad jokes that we're doing. And that will lead me in to (laughs) my joke. (laughs) Why shouldn't you let kids watch big band performances on the TV? I don't know. I don't know. Too much sax and violins. <laughs> it says something when I laugh the most at my joke. <laughs> oh, did I do the Welsh one with you guys the other day? I don't think so. Okay, no, I'll do that. I'll do that afterwards because it's very niche to very few of our listeners. Um, Con, have you got our Florida man? I have. Well, Florida lady. <gasps> the first Florida lady. Yes. The first lady of Florida. <laughs> so our first Florida lady, the first lady of Florida. Let's hope she's good because this is our series finale. Florida man's last lady. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. Uh, woman, 26. Removed bikini topping cafe, fondled breasts, and tugged on her nipple ring. I can't. Yeah. Glover was in line at Holmes Beach Eatery Tuesday afternoon when she removed her bathing suit and exposed her bare breasts to all restaurant patrons. After walking around the cafe, uh, the topless Glover sat down at a table where she again groped her breasts in a sexual nature, according to witnesses who spoke with police. Glover subsequently covered her breasts after being approached by restaurant workers. Glover was being held, but there is a $7,620 bond for her release, if anyone wants to pay it. (laughs) Has they got a GoFundMe? (laughs) Um, She hasn't, but in a Facebook post, she said, alongside a male acquaintance, uh, atop the shoulders of a male acquaintance, lol, was deaf having a lot of fun. And three bottles of wine later, the pool didn't seem so cold. <laughs> Amazing. So, what a one to end like on. So um, thank you all for listening to Series 2. We will be back at an unspecified date in the future. Once we've got Ellie to research a murder. <laughs> in advance. There's Guys, the first time I, for I wouldn't everything. hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> really wouldn't hold your breath. Season three has been cancelled. <laughs> so thanks for all these listening. Keep uh, keep listening, and if this is your first episode, please go back and listen to some of our previous episodes as well, because I'm sure you'll like them if you like this one. Uh, keep liking, commenting, subscribing, everything you can with our posts. It's really good to get some engagement from our listeners and guesses as to what our cocktails could be. And also suggest what kind of murders you'd like to see in season three. If you would like to see murders, that's probably on you rather than us. <laughs> and uh, that's a bye from me. Bye. Bye. I Could Murder a Cocktail is an independent podcast produced by Ellie Layden, Molly Dacey and Connor Hall. Researched by Ellie Layden and Molly Dacey and edited by Connor Hall.